This is the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. They say that every dog will have his day. I suppose that's true enough. What they fail to stress is that there are always consequences. Always something more to be considered. When it comes right down to it, when Rover's day finally rolls around, if anyone bothered to tell him what the price might be, he'd probably just let it slide. That's what most folks do, I guess. It's the cause of endless frustration, of sleepless nights filled with loss and longing and regret, and at least a couple of thousand of the million stories in the naked city. They're sad little stories, and they're all sung to the same tune. A melancholy little ditty called If Only. But for those dogs who insist on seizing the day, there are pieces to be picked up afterwards. Sometimes it's something they can handle themselves. Other times, well, not so much. This here's the story of one of those times. Business at the firm of Justice and Dixon private investigations had been at once brisk and terrible. The rent was paid, the heat was on, there were $136 in the operating account, which was, as always, porcelain and pig-shaped. What's more, there was a respectable variety of coffee beans on hand. The office bottle had been replaced with one that actually had more scotch than water in it, and we hadn't had to dust the telephone in weeks. In short, we were flush for what that was worth. I qualify that joyous aberration on the great ledger sheet of life because Trixie and I were on our 17th consecutive divorce case, starting to go a little squirrely. I don't know if that spring had seen a bumper crop of particularly nubile secretaries, or if a back order of swarthy young Lotharios had finally been filled, but it seemed that all over the city any number of dogs were having their days. And our poor old office camera was recording the highlights for a parade of weeping wives and humiliated husbands, each of whom shared two common traits, a profound sense of betrayal and the possession, however fleeting, of a sum of $35 a day plus expenses. This was all very well and good, but when the door opened and both Mr. and Mrs. Fletcher walked through the door, it was all I could do to keep from leaping out of my chair and throwing the happily married pair of them into a bear hug. So I did what I always do when I was afraid of running off the clientele with uncharacteristic enthusiasm. I smoked a cigarette, looked out the window, and let Trixie do the talking. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. Jack was doing his best to look vaguely disinterested, which I took as my cue. The unfortunate thing about these situations was that Jack's attempts to look aloof usually came across as confused and maybe a little gassy. Not that the prospective clients ever noticed, but I found it all a little distracting. I dealt with this by settling on the edge of Jack's desk, where I couldn't see him without turning around. It all made me look a bit like the help, but it never hurt to play the expectations a little. And if it gave them the image of old Squarejaw as the great detective before they signed on the dotted, well, so much the better. It's not like it was likely to come up again later. I asked them to sit and offered them each a cup of blend of Guatemalan beans that Jack was particularly proud of. He said yes. She just kept crying. In fact, Eleanor Fletcher did a lot of crying. 
So much that I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, and this to turn into a divorce case after all. They seemed like a nice couple, maybe 50, 55. They looked it, but they aged well, and looked healthy and comfortable. There was obviously some money, though they didn't come across as rich. After a cup was poured and Jack had settled his chair back into the spot where a shadow fell across his eyes, there was a brief respite in the tears, and I asked how we could help them. <laughs> There's been... <laughs> Kidnapping. Uh, kidnapping? Now, darling, please. Everything is going to be fine. How can you say that when they've got her? Who knows where she is? What could be happening to her? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Fletcher, I should really tell you right from the outset, this is probably a matter for the police. No. No police. No. The note said that they'd kill her if the police became involved. The note... There's been a ransom note? Not exactly. How can you say that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, please. I, I know it must be a terrible strain to you, and I know it seems like time is of the essence, but that's exactly why Mr. Justice and I need you to focus and give us the story from the very beginning. <laughs> Mrs. Fletcher, please. Who was kidnapped? Little Jessie. I'm sorry. Jessie is... Lady Jezebel Wildwood of the Cattle Creek Emmanuel. But we just call her Jessie. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, I still don't. You're there, darling. I'm not normally dense, but It's a dog, Trix. Jack's first words from the shadows fell across the room like a far off peal of thunder. Mr. Fletcher sat up straight in his chair. Mrs. Fletcher stopped crying without entirely realizing that she had and held her breath as Jack leaned forward without plucking the cigarette from his lips, moving in his chair ever so slightly towards the gooseneck lamp. Just enough that his eyes caught the light and seemed to glow from the darkness by their own power. I didn't even have to turn to look back at him to know that he had done it. I saw the effect it had on the previously inconsolable Mrs. Fletcher. Jack only had one or two even remotely impressive moves. Once he'd been through his repertoire twice, a girl got bored in a heck of a hurry. But for the moment, he was her hard-boiled savior. Generally, though we're not sticklers for it, but generally the term kidnapping is reserved for humans and young goats. But if dognapping seems too undignified... Jesse is very much a member of our family, <laughs> Mr. Justice. Kidnapping it is, then. Jesse is a show dog? Yes. Yes, a champion. I'm sorry, what, uh, what... Breed. Breed, yes. What breed is... Jesse? A beagle. Purebred. Three years old. Some of those show dogs can run into money. Yes, sir. It, uh, it's our life work, in fact. Not this particular dog. Tricks. What? My wife and I are breeders of champion purebred beagles. We've loved dogs all our lives and, and work with them together every day since we first met. All those years ago. But a dog like Jessie comes along once in a lifetime. She's such a sweet thing. So affectionate. Can I interest anyone in a drink? Mrs. Fletcher? Mr. Fletcher? No? Just me, then. <laughs> Excuse me. Carry on, please. Being a champion show dog is more than simply representing the classic aspects of the breed. There are beautiful animals that just don't have it. They can't... Play to the judge. Can't electrify the crowd. And Jessie can. Yes, sir. She certainly could. Good. 
Now, don't give up hope just yet, Mr. Fletcher. Oh, no, no, it's not that at all. You see, we retired Jessie. Retired at three. I knew I got into the wrong racket. She'd won so many shows while still quite young. We thought it best if she moved to breeding full-time. Definitely the wrong racket. Is everything all right over there? It could use a little ice. Tough it out. So, that's where the real money is, yes? Uh, forgive me, I don't want to sound mercenary, but whoever took Jesse... We, we, we understand, yes. Um, a young animal with Jesse's pedigree and champion status has enormous earning potential and will boost the bloodlines of our entire kennel for generations to come. Dog generations? Of course. Of course. How long has Jesse been missing? A week. One morning, she was just gone. At first, we thought she might have found a spot somewhere... You know how dogs are when they're about to give birth. Give birth? So she was... Uh, I mean, there were... Our Puppies. Is the word. Yes. Yes. Oh, we were so excited. It was her first litter with Hercules. Hercules? Have another. No ice. Check the files under I. What makes you both so sure that this was a dog... Uh, kidnapping? My wife became frantic when Jesse didn't come home. We checked with the neighbors, walked the fields for miles, didn't sleep for days. Our daughter Susan was so upset she left to stay at a cottage of ours until this is over. Finally, yesterday, this arrived. Tricks? Single sheet, typewritten. Paper's heavy, not really meant for a typewriter, but I doubt it's anything we could trace. The letters E and G are slightly out of alignment, and the ribbon looks dry. Which means... Our kidnapper doesn't do a lot of typing. The text is short and sweet. Do not worry, your dog is fine and being well looked after. Do not involve the authorities and your dog will not be harmed. Await instructions. Do exactly as we say and the dog will be returned to you. That's it? That's all. It's not much of a ransom note. How can you say that? There's a singular lack of any ransom request, for starters. Presumably the demands will come in the next message. That would make me much less suspicious. Less suspicious? How so? Kidnappers might be despicable, Mrs. Fletcher, but they're easy to understand. It's when someone doesn't ask for ransom that the whole thing turns south. So now what do we do? We come with you out to your place and take a look around. No, no. Why not? They might be watching the house. Mr. Fletcher, I really doubt this caper is that well organized. But the note, the note says they'll kill her. Yes, ma'am. That'd be a standard play, too. But it doesn't say that. Tricks? Do not involve the authorities, and your dog will not be harmed. There's no real threat there. Well, I think it certainly implies... Yes, ma'am. Subtlety is another thing that makes us suspicious. I think we'd better take a look around. No. No, I don't want you there. Theodore! There is another omission from this letter. He uses the singular dog. How, uh... How close was the blessed event when Jesse vanished? A day? Maybe two? So it certainly happened by now. Which raises the question... Why didn't he mention the puppies? It was the P word that did the trick. It sent Mrs. Fletcher into a flutter, which flattened Mr. Fletcher's fluster into futility. And it got us in to see the setup at the Fletcher place. It was a nice spread, almost an hour out of town. I'd never seen so many identical dogs, but the Fletcher seemed to know which was which and who was who and who was a nice boy and who was a good girl. I found the whole exercise a bit baffling, frankly. Jack, on the other hand, seemed to be treating the whole business with a disturbing sincerity. Finally, Mrs. Fletcher stepped inside to lie down, and Mr. Fletcher wandered off to feed the dogs. The absence of the Fletchers and their extended, exuberant family gave old Squarejaw and I a moment's peace at last. Well, 
I don't like it. Me neither. I've got a splitting headache. I meant the setup. It's a bad caper. Whoever nabbed Jesse must have known just what they were looking for. I'll say. I can't even tell any of these dogs apart. And yet they went right for the champion. Of course, she was just about to have pups. That would have made her easy to ID. I can't believe you're taking this seriously. I can't believe you're not. I never used to do lost cat cases till I partnered up with you. We solved most of those with a tin of sardines. Captain Ahab! Well, you never let me live that down. You knocked on doors for four days. Wore out a perfectly good pair of boots. Captain Ahab was old Mrs. McVetty's only companion. These people have dozens of dogs. I'm not even going to respond to that. I'm just going to stand here feeling superior while you think about what you just said. I hate you. Fine. Fine. I just don't get the whole show dog thing. Our clients do. So does whoever stole their dog. See, now look over there, past that fence. That's a dog. That old farm mutt? He's not so old, are you, boy? Are you... He's got a good set of lungs, doesn't he? Sure does. Come on, let's clear off. Here comes our client. Hello, Mr. Fletcher. Hope we didn't alarm you. We seem to have annoyed the neighbor's dog. He's a beauty, too, isn't he? King? Uh, Quiet, King. Uh, yes, he's uh, an amicable enough animal. No breeding at all, of course. A real Heinz, you might say. Fifty-seven varieties? Look at her read my mind. Uh, Mr. Justice, uh, I'm sorry. Um, I have news. News? Look what I found. On the door of the shed. A ransom note, just, just like you said. It's the same paper, all right. Looks to be the same everything. Don't keep me in suspense all night. Prepare $1,000 in unmarked bills. We will follow with more instructions next week. Your dog will not be harmed. Just like you said. Yeah, just like I said. I don't like it. You don't? He's stalling. Mr. Fletcher, how long after it's born does a pup need to stay with its mother? Well, with proper care afterwards, uh, of course. Of course. Uh, Six weeks, give or take. And don't be surprised if that's how long it takes to get a straight answer out of this punk. He's not after the dog or even the money. He's after the puppies. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. The first order of business was a plan of attack. If our dognapper aimed to keep the prize puppies of Jesse and Hercules, and I can't believe I just said that with a straight face, but if that was his aim, there wasn't much we could do to stop it. All we could do was try and figure out what he intended to do with them once the ransom was paid and Jesse was returned. Then whenever he turned up, old Squarejaw and I would be waiting with enough hardware to make anyone forget they were housebroken. Our clients weren't going to be much help. Mr. Fletcher had stormed off, too angry to stand what was happening and too much of a gentleman to let us see it. Mrs. Fletcher was upset, too. But Jack's theory meant that whoever had taken Jessie would have to keep her safe. And bless her little socks, she still looked at Jack like he could chew broken glass and spit out a champagne flute. The Fletchers didn't want anyone in the doggy set to know what was happening, so that meant a little subtlety. And that meant no Jack. She made a phone call to the head of the local kennel club. From the way she described Mr. Beauchamp, my usual routine with the little red dress wasn't going to cut it. I made myself up good and proper. Very straight-laced, like any independent young woman looking to become more involved in her local kennel club might be. Mrs. Fletcher had schooled me a little, but I had a secret weapon in the form of my trick blouse. It was a perfectly conservative blouse that looked very respectable with two buttons undone. But if you leaned forward, just a little and arched your shoulders back, just a bit, 
the third button came undone, every time, as if by magic. I want to be clear, you couldn't see a thing, but it was just a little bit more than a well-bred lady would mean to show. And if a girl detective happened to be playing her character right, it would turn respectable men to quivering putty. And so it was with Mr. Beauchamp. He became just flustered enough to stop wondering why I was asking about insurance values and unpedigreed puppies and just answer my questions like a good boy. And after 20 minutes, when I took off the pinch-nez glasses that I wore whenever I had to play a librarian type, our conversation about dog registrations and kennel fees became huddled and breathless. I may have overplayed my hand slightly when I took my hair down, because he asked if he could take me to dinner tonight, or any other night that I care to name. I lowered my eyelashes and said I'd consider it, and I would consider it too. Don't look at me like that, he was tall and fit and blushed far too easily. I could keep up the act a while longer than was strictly speaking necessary. Besides, he might be a useful contact as our investigation continued, and a girl detective's entitled to a little useful contact now and then. But first I had to check in with what's-his-name, and every life a little rain must fall. While Trixie scoped out the semi-legitimate ways a fella could move some purebred beagle puppies, or use them to aid their own operation, or whatever else she managed to get out of the guy from the kennel club before she became too distracted by toying with him to be much good to anybody in any respectable fashion... In any case, somebody had to scope out the less-than-less-than legitimate possibilities. And in our books, there was one name at the top of that page. Our old pal, Freddy the Finger Hawthorne. Jeez, Jackie, this is not my line, see? Yeah, I see, all right, Freddy. I mean, we're friends and all, but I've got legitimate business to attend to. Legitimate business? Don't make that face at me, Blackjack. I'm a legitimate businessman these days. Freddy... Legitimate businessmen don't say they're legitimate businessmen. They don't? No. They just assume everybody knows they're legitimate. So they just say businessmen? More or less. But that's what the crooks say. I'm a businessman. Yeah. Now just take out that little pause in the ironic tone and you'll be fine. I tried to tell her it'd never work. Who? My Alice. She's after me to go straight and and stay that way. But working for a living is hard work. Help me load these boxes, would you, Jackie? I will if you tell me about the puppies. All right, already. I made a few calls. Nobody wants dogs. Freddy, these aren't just dogs. I know, I know. Champine chip beagles. They're no good to nobody, Jackie. These are a valuable commodity. With papers, yeah, they're valuable. The ransom scam's a pretty good one. They're not in it for ransom. The notes are all wrong. There's no threat of harm and they're stalling. The longer they keep the dog, the more chance they have of getting caught. They want the pups, Frederick. Okay, then they want the pups. But I don't know from why. Come on, there's a market for stolen anything. Like art that you'd have to hide. Right? Sure, but a stolen painting is what it is. Even if you can't show it to nobody. And a stolen racehorse, maybe you get a fool out of that. But horses win because they're fast, Jackie. Dog shows is half about the papers. The same dog that's a champion with papers is a mutt without them. Oh, boy. I'm out of breath. Freddy, will you quit moving these boxes for a minute and talk to me? Uh, no, Jackie. It'd be best for my legit... For my business if these boxes were somewhere else. Now. Freddy, what's in the boxes? Promise not to tell? I promise nothing. 
Let's see this. No, Jackie... Ascots? Are you telling me you're in the hot ascot business now? High society, Jackie. Freddy, stealing fancier things doesn't make you a legitimate businessman. I know it, but my Alice... Good old Robin Hood Hawthorne. Steals from the rich and sells to the richer. Don't laugh too hard, Jackie. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, I... What's that? I said that... Yeah, old dog, new tricks, right. Right. Because a dog's going to do what it always does, no matter what. You okay, Jackie? Yeah. Freddy, i got to get back out to the Fletcher place. You take my advice. Find a less legitimate business. It's going to land you back in the pokey. Hey, Sunshine, you look determined. You look like a librarian who's about to make an unprecedented moral lapse. Thanks. Did you find anything out? I found out that there's no easy way to generate any kind of profit out of puppies with no pedigree. And that my eyes are like a stormy sea. What if somebody wanted to use them to start their own kennel? My eyes? The dogs. They could, but without papers, their dogs wouldn't be worth that much. And it's a small community. A new player with champion-quality beagles with no documentation is going to attract some attention. That's just what I wanted to hear. What are you up to? What was Jesse insured for? Does it matter? Without involving the police, there's no way the Fletchers can make a claim. So what do we got? A crime with no profit? A thousand dollars is a pretty good profit. Too much risk, too little return. Besides, you can't teach old dogs new tricks. What does that mean? Here come our clients. Mr. Justice, Miss Dixon, I'm afraid we must end our business arrangement. What? My husband found another note. Tricks? Just to be clear, you can read, can't you? Read the note. You were warned. Send your detectives away. Your dog will be returned safely, but you must not disobey instructions again. And still, even now, there's no threat. Still, they can't bring themselves to type the words, or we will kill your dog. (laughs) Mr. Justice! I'm sorry, Mrs. Fletcher. I think there's someone very important in all of this we need to talk to. You said your daughter Susan is staying at a cottage of yours. How far is it? You don't work for us anymore. You paid a week up front. Mrs. Fletcher? It's about 40 minutes by car. I think we should all go talk to her. Now. But why? Because of the curious incident of the dogs in the nighttime. What? Jack, can we cut to the chase? No. You know why? Because not once over the course of the last 17 divorce cases have I found a decent excuse to quote Sherlock Holmes in context until just now. But the dogs didn't do anything in the nighttime. That, my dear Mrs. Fletcher, is the curious incident. All right, so I was more intrigued than annoyed. There was still no reason to let Flattop know that. I didn't want to play Dr. Watson more often than I absolutely had to. The four of us piled into Jack's car and drove out to the Fletcher's cottage. There was rustling of the lace curtains and no response to our knocks. The door didn't open till Jack made it very clear that he'd break it down. There, on the other side of the door, was Susan Fletcher. Brunette, 21, and completely deserving of Jack's raised eyebrows and unintentional leer. But he was in the the gather-the-suspects-in-the-library mode, and even the Fletcher girl couldn't distract him for long. Because an eager brown face pushed past her legs and there was Jessie, just as pleased as Punch to see the Fletchers, and as eager as a mother could be to show off her pups. Seven of the most adorable little things you've ever seen, and even I could tell that they weren't even remotely purebred beagles. In fact, they looked suspiciously like... Old King, the neighbor's mutt. I told you he didn't look that old. But I don't understand. I suspected this had happened. King got over the fence more than once. I took Jesse away till I could be sure. 
Susan knew. She helped me. We tried to keep it from you. And when your wife became frantic, you left her that first note, so she'd know Jesse was safe. Yes. That's why there was no threat in the note. You wanted it to comfort her as much as it could. And you certainly didn't want to hire us. That's right. But... But the ransom note... Appeared shortly after we said how suspicious it was that you hadn't received one. So very shortly thereafter that the typewriter must be somewhere at your house. Of course. The simple thing would have been to drown the puppies and send back Jesse alive and well. But you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Your husband's been caring for dogs all of his life. He just couldn't do it. Could you, sir? No. No, I couldn't. That's why I wrote that last note. I didn't want you asking so many questions. How did you know? The curious incident of the dogs in the nighttime. They didn't bark. Jesse didn't bark, didn't bite. If she'd really have been kidnapped in the middle of the night, you'd have known it was happening. But they wouldn't have barked at you, sir. Even old King next door knew you well enough to be quiet. You're both very clever. But I'm afraid you've forced our hand somewhat. What do you mean? Well, we can't... We can't keep them. I don't understand. I think I do. The reputation of the breeding and the bloodline is what keeps a kennel in business. Precisely. To have such a serious lapse as this, and with a champion like Jesse... Oh, Theodore, what are we going to do? Wait, wait. This all turns south on me. What were you planning on doing with them? I didn't know. Perhaps we were only forestalling the inevitable. I don't like where this is going. Neither do we, Mr. Justice. But this kennel is our livelihood. If we advertised or asked around, if word got out... You think I'm just gonna... Wait. Everybody relax. You've still got us for the better part of a week. We can set that aside for a few more weeks till the pups are old enough. Trixie. Come on, tough guy. If we can find the mama so fast, how hard can it be to find seven homes for seven babies? The use of the word babies should have been my first clue. But even with her third button undone, Trixie could be subtle. And she was right. The pups went awful fast. Freddy a finger took one home to his Alice. The pup kept her distracted enough that she stayed out of Freddy's business, and he stayed out of jail for the moment. Lieutenant Sabian gave one to his little girl for her birthday, and so it went. And by the time the rest of the Fletcher's retainer was used up, there was only one pup left, the one that was always suspiciously somewhere else whenever someone came by to look at them. The one with the little fat stomach and the crazy quilt patches everywhere. Aw, come on, Jack. Please. You've never said please to me in your life. That's why it should be really impressive now. Where will he stay? We'll take turns. It's ridiculous. It's impractical. I absolutely forbid it. And that was how King Jr. came to be the agency dog. He wouldn't be doing very much crime-busting in the foreseeable future, but it made sitting around waiting for a case a more pleasant thing. There was something about watching a pup sleep in a sunbeam that was more satisfying than reading your name backwards on the door, even if Blackjack tried to pretend that he didn't think so. Blackjack Justice, episode 15, How Much Is That Gumshoe in the Window, was written and directed by Greg Taylor, and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Clarissa Dunederlanden, M. John Kennedy, and Peter Nichol. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure.
This portion of the Mutual Audio Network is brought to you by Big Barney's Bacon-O-Rama. Nothing but bacon. Fried bacon, bacon stew, bacon casserole, bacon Alaska, baked bacon, bacon salad with bacon bits. Big Barney's Bacon-O-Rama, where they always say, you'll be aching to be taking the bacon we're making forsaken all other bacon. <laughs> 